Hi, my name's Bryant, and like most of you, I'm staying at home during the pandemic. To pass the time, I decided to get some of my friends on the record about what they're cooking, how they're doing, and anything else that might be on their minds. Join me on What's Eating You. I'm here with my friend, Mariana. Um, Happy to be glad here. To have you. I actually was thinking about this um, when you agreed to be sort of the inaugural, um, at least real guest. And um, right. I've, you've probably been one of my longest, you know, professional Princeton acquaintances outside of Odin, but I can't, I can't say, honestly, how or when that began. I have no idea. So, so when I was sort of thinking about this podcast, I was thinking about that as well and how you at one point seemed to kind of always be a part of my professional friends, but also I can also pinpoint, I think the exact, uh, evening that we became friends can you not pinpoint that evening uh refresh my memory i i i i think of the the applebee's trivia night as the origin of my my work wow wow that was a heck of a who was that alex uh jbj that was alex a bitch uh cindy perhaps yeah we were four or five of us it was either four or five of us, and um, it was it was very. I was going to say 2014. We, we won. I remember seven. winning. We won. We won. And um, what I remember the most about that night is why I decided this was the night that we became friends was because, uh, as is my custom, I showed up ridiculously early that night um, and was alone. And the uh, waiter didn't believe that my friends were joining me and I kept having to say no my friends are coming but it felt very odd because I was like I don't know if they would also call me their friend anyway I was having a bit of a, a breakdown and then everyone came and we had an excellent night and I was like all right these are my friends these are my friends we're good classic Mariana story right there yeah no that was uh and I was like all right now now I now I have friends check that off the list but uh but yeah I'm going to go ahead and call that that the night we became friends. But, I mean, we were obviously acquaintances that's, at least before that, and I'm not sure how that that's started. That's true. Uh, I don't remember the first time I saw you, met you. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, like you said, the whole professional network and, um, gosh, it wasn't that long ago, I guess, but seven years is kind of long ago. It feels so long ago, but at the same time, I don't know. What is time? I think that's been the number one lesson of the coronavirus era. What, what is, time? is time really? Yes. But you're right. Yeah. There's been, you know, obviously um, barbecues and uh, helped you move once. Uh, you helped me move once. Um, I helped, yeah. To, yeah, I guess. No, that's right. Because I had movers then to get me that. I did that weird two-part move. But yeah, we, we have, we've, we've had a mutual moving. So I think that's good. That's a, uh, a friend, uh, uh, Mark, marker in your life that you've helped someone move. Um, we don't really cross paths too much professionally, I would say. We work at the same place. But we don't necessarily work together that I often. think that's right. It's mainly around, you know, the big events, the sort of all hands types of types of things. Yeah, the ones where everyone's working anyway. Yeah. So, uh, but I would say that I think that's good for our friendship that we're not. That's probably on top of probably each other. true probably true i like i i yeah yeah i think that i think that's probably what saved our our work friendship is that 
I mean, I, I, I very much like the people I work with, so I don't want them to get the wrong idea if they hear this. <laughs> you and I, I think that. Yeah, there's us. probably fewer trivia nights with them than there have been with them. Um, right. Yeah. Fewer trivia nights. Friends. It's true. But we have a different type of friendship, different, different type of friendship. Sure. Um, well, you know, I guess, you know, there's no formal, formal agenda here, but um, you know, one of the other things I think you're, you're good at is storytelling um, or at least having things you want to mm-hmm. talk about. And I even if it's not a story, you got opinions. And so um, you had said something to me that was interesting. And I'm curious, I want to hear more about why it was uh, what jumped to your mind. And it was, what was I listening to? I listen to music and I often will share those songs broadly, um, you know, typically on Instagram, um, just the album sort of cover and maybe the song title and artist, obviously. And, and who was it who came across? I was on a 60s jag. So I think, uh, who was it? Yes. It was Andy Williams. Andy Williams. Something you, in your frequent rotation or? Uh, So there's a lot of levels to this. Uh, I hope you're ready. So Andy Williams, I first became aware of, uh, my father and I used to watch The Simpsons together a lot uh, when I was a kid. And there's an episode where Bart gets a fake driver's license and rents a car with, uh, Nelson Millhouse and um, the tubby one, uh, Martin. And um, they go on sort of a like cross country journey. I don't really know what the route was, but the, my most memorable part of that was uh, they go to Branson, Missouri, uh, Las Vegas, if Ned Flanders ran it, according to Homer Simpson. And um, they, were, they were just sort of driving through. And Nelson, who's sort of a, are you a Simpson fan? I was actually just watching um, every Simpsons ever the mar- some marathon is on, so I was I pop in and out quite frequently. Okay, so you you know that Nelson is a a bully character. You know he's a, a tough tough kid. Nelson sees a sign for an Andy Williams show because Andy Williams had a long running show in Branson, Missouri, and he goes Andy Williams, and Bart says, "Oh, we don't have to stop." And uh, Nelson says, "Oh, yeah, we do." So they all go to an Andy Williams concert. At this point, you know my father. You actually probably work more professionally with my father than I do. He's in tears laughing at this point. This is the highest of comedy to him. So as a child, I'm also laughing because I'm thinking this is this is what funny is. This is hilarious. So they go to this Andy Williams show, and Nelson's just delighted and excited. And he, what does he say? Um, it was, I didn't think he was going to do Moon River, but then, bam, second encore. Okay, so this is just a, a hilarious moment from my childhood is watching this episode of The Simpsons to the point that my father and I will sometimes greet each other with Andy Williams. Um, so there's that. Then my mother has a sort of every year around Christmas time, a rotating selection of CDs that she plays. And it's still CDs to this day. I want to be clear about that. We still use the CDs. Um, and at one point, I made the connection that one of the CDs she plays all the time is Andy Williams. And I'm like, wait, 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 Andy Williams from The Simpsons. And my mom's like, you cannot watch The Simpsons on your father anymore. So we, had, we learned a lot about Andy Williams. Um, and and his, his Christmas specials that he used to have with you know, the Osmonds um, and, and various, uh, various guests. So we talk about Andy Williams a lot in my house growing up, just sort of casually it was never really the main topic of conversation but it just sort of wove its way in frequently it was like hey I like andy williams 
I believe what we then started talking about on Instagram when I brought up Andy Williams was his uh, relationship with uh, Claudine Langey. I believe that's her last name. Sort of a French, uh, I believe she was a singer. Uh, beautiful. I think it is. I believe she's still alive. Um, beautiful person who they, they had gotten married and they were, and she used to be on this show. And, you know, as we watched these Andy Williams Christmas specials, um, you know, she would be on, she would be on these specials. And, um, and, and my parents, again, would always sort of make reference to, oh, Claudine and mm, Spider Savage. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what they're talking about here. Uh, later on, as in within the past few years, I've connected things all together as I've started listening to these, you know, popular murder podcasts that are big amongst uh, millennial women, uh, that Claudine Langer, after she divorced, after she and Andy Williams got divorced, killed her I believe they were a lover's boyfriend, girlfriend. I don't believe they were married. Uh, Spider Savage, who was a like top skier, big winter sports guy. Um, she shot him, I believe, thinking he was an intruder. She claims, she claims. Did that actually, was it actually true? We don't know. Who's the first person to come by her side, though? Andy Williams. Mr. You know, Wholesome America. Um, you know, no one can picture him without a sweater or a turtleneck. Friend of the Osmonds. You know, who's more wholesome than the Osmonds? Now this man is back with his ex-wife who's just possibly murdered a man. You know, this is kind of where, this, this, this story doesn't really have a great ending. It's, it's sort of, at the end of the day, I think it was determined it was an accident and a spider savage died. Um, but just, yeah, I, I, I just love Andy Williams. And uh, there's just so many little side stories that come out from him. So when, when you posted an Andy Williams song, I, I got excited that, that someone else in this world was, was thinking about Andy. Did, I, I don't want to gloss over. Did he get her off of the murder rap? I believe he did. I believe strings were pulled. Again, these are all things that I have not, as much as I sound like I've spent a lot of time researching this, these are also things that I also just hear and like lodge in my brain and have not checked further. But I believe it's sort of implied that like he, you know, somehow worked the system to make sure that it was, you know, got her the lawyer she needed, got her the, you know, representation she needed, that it was, you know, just taken care of. And, uh, and poor, poor Claudine, uh, who again, I don't, uh, this could have been a tragic accident. I allegedly, I don't want to, I don't want to get anyone in any legal trouble here, but I, I think it was, you know, implied that perhaps he, he perhaps still had feelings for her as well. And perhaps they, uh, uh, or we're meant to be together. Um, that I need to, I need to, I need to brush up a little bit more on, but, um, but no, man, Andy Williams, was he, was he one of the guys that had kind of that America's dad title? I know there's a bunch of them in like the sixties that were like those like father figures. I'm not sure, but I think you're right. It's just a certain type of era, right. Where you get this sort yeah. of, you know, what was, what else was talking about? Osmonds, I think, you know, the Brady bunch, there's all these period pieces that, you know, again, it's later yeah. than leave it to beaver. And other types of right. Andy Griffith style stuff, but still very wholesome. And I think musically, you're right. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, it would always be something where you'd like kind of sit down, you have a chat with some, you know, youthful looking singers, some some young boys or some young girl singers, and you know, the idea would be that you're these this this father figure to these up and coming teen idols, and gives a little wholesomeness to everyone. Which who who do you think nowadays would be the father figure to say? Billie Eilish. 
do those exist as artists now though or are they more like the producer I don't know. Like, or the what? songwriter because uh, i get oh that would be a good point it's more the producer it, it wouldn't be sort of yeah i can't i mean i'm not really that and, great and people don't in fact i would say it's the other way right like people don't want to seem fatherish they want to seem younger they want to they want yep. to still be in that i'm thinking of because he just had a single drop uh with marcus mumford actually diplo who is trying really hard i think to still be like kind of you know trendy and cool and not quite burning man adjacent but kind of in that yeah. you know festival shirtless a lot and you know kind of memeish captioning of his stuff even though i think i don't think he lives that life necessarily although he probably right. tours and does and hangs out with all those types of entertainers but he's right. but he's like in his 40s easily yeah, no, he's not. He's not a spring chicken. No, but he's he's always commenting on people's. He's big in like social media. I always see him on comments by celebrities. He's trying to make funny comments on like everyone's social media. So yeah, he's definitely he's definitely trying to stay young there. That's and you're right. It's no one really wants that father label, which that I think was a big thing in the '60s was to be the uh, you know the wholesome father. I wonder when that kind of changed. The '80s. 90s internet era yeah and i think even right as like the younger pop stars stay you know pop stars i guess have always been young but as sort of like the vibe has shifted you want to sort of be partying with them now right instead of sort of like alvin and the chipmunks sort of managing them right right i mean i guess you kind of i so i feel like i'm implying here that i have only knowledge of 60s era uh pop culture but i was watching yours mine and ours the other night and um, have you seen Yours, Mine, and Ours? No, what is that? I don't know anything about that. Yours, Mine, and Ours is um, a naval officer, widow, uh, father of 10 children, meets a, uh, a nurse, widower. Uh, widow, no, widower is the man, that's right, widower. And widow um, of, uh, of eight children. And they get married, so they now have 18 children. And it stars Henry Fonda and Lucille Ball. So they're playing, um, you know, father and mother to this family of 18 children, the eldest of whom is, um, he's just being drafted to, I mean, it's, he's going to go to Vietnam. They don't really know that, but yes, he's going to Vietnam, which is a whole other story. But um, uh, actually played by Gary, Gary Cole, but Gary Coleman, who he's, is that his name? No, wait, no, Tim Matson. Tim Matson. that's who plays it. That's right. Sorry, I'm getting all my Brady Bunch uh, movie characters mixed up. Anyway, so back to yours, mine, and ours. Um, uh, so the father's played by Henry Fonda, the mother's played by Lucille Ball, and so the oldest child is 18. So you just imagine in like the 1960s that these people are probably in, you know, their early 40s, early to mid 40s. Henry Fonda was 65 when he filmed this, and Lucille Ball was 47. So here's the deal. They looked incredible. Henry Fonda, like, I was attracted to him, I'm not going to lie. Um I'm not sure how I got on this subject, but I think this idea of playing young is actually not that new now that I'm thinking about it. Here we had Henry Fonda playing an active military officer, you know, on a ship. He wouldn't have been doing that at 65. So he was playing young. Lucille Ball has a baby in the movie. Actually, they have 19 children by the end of the movie. That's right. Um, She would not be doing that at 47. So this is not actually a new thing. Uh, also, I highly suggest the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours. It is, and there is a remake starring uh, Dennis Quaid that uh, has come out within the past probably 
probably around like 2007 or so. I don't believe I've seen that one, but I, I, I would suggest the 1968 version. Yeah, how did we get there? Wow, but um, I guess I think I think we're talking about like people play, like trying to like not age, and you know the idea that Andy Williams was kind of playing this fatherly figure when maybe he was actually still fairly young, and but actually at the same time in the '60s, you know, you did have these people who were playing young, and it wasn't all people trying to be these sort of older. I guess I figures. I think that's right. I think because you're right. I mean, like. Even now, you know, the or I guess even in the 80s and 90s, you know, who's playing teenagers, high school kids, still people in their 20s or, you know, 21 Jump Street, right? Like Exactly. Have you seen um, Outer Banks on Netflix? No, is this similar? Just came out. Just came out. So it was described as kind of an OC meets Dawson's Creek. I'm going to also add with Pirates. Um but yeah, I, I'm watching the show and I'm, I get obsessed and I finished all 10 episodes in, in one day. And I'm like, I'm going to look up these characters. The main character is playing a 16 year old. He's 28 in real life. Like none of the characters are, are none of the actors are under 21, which is probably a good legal thing to have. But, um, but yeah, like what, I think our view, our image of what a high schooler is, is so warped. Even though we all went through it, no one can actually imagine what a high schooler looks like unless you're like the parent of one. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Although maybe what's changed is more sort of the, it's, it's the other direction actually, right? It's not that someone 65 is playing someone 20 years younger. It's, I think also that the 16 year old, both the, you know, the youthfulness and the level of responsibility and accountability, that's blurred up, right? So this extended adolescence yeah. now to being 30-ish, and I think, so now yeah. maybe people who are in their 40s, even though they're still trying to act 20 years younger, the way they expect to act, they have to act to be taken seriously in that realm has changed too. That's a great point. No, I think that extended adolescence is, 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 is huge. Um, definitely seeing that in, yeah. And the idea that I think these 27 year olds actors are probably in their mind are saying, you know, these are the parts I should be going for actually like are these high school parts. So it's, it's not even out of the ordinary that they would be going for them. Exactly. I, um, Oh God, I wish I remembered what movie it is. So I heard that Richard Linklater is, so he's, he's big and he's the director who does all those movies where he'll take, you know, like boyhood and, He'll take years to make a movie just to keep the same person, keep keep the same one. But I guess there's some, I can't remember. It's a famous sort of either a movie or a play where it starts when the characters are old, and by the end of the show, they're they 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 keep thinking back in time, thinking back in time, and so by the end of the show, they're they're young, and so typically it involves you know, younger actors who are wearing state, I think, I think it's a play that they usually do it, but, um, and I, I, I cannot remember the name of what movie it is or play. Um, I think they usually start with them and kind of aged up makeup and all that. And then gradually they get down to their just normal self. He's filming a version of it in reverse where every five years, so they're starting at the end and filming the end now. And then they're just, he's going to follow these actors as they age. And so in, 20 years they'll film the beginning of the movie um so i mean there's a lot of risks involved in that but it's it's a cool idea i heard about this on another podcast um so i need to i'm i'm trying to remember what the same it's a famous show whatever it is and as soon as i remember it i'm gonna be like ah i knew it but um but yeah so that's that's 
risks in that that no one will die, but that's art. But in the coronavirus, the whole project's kind of done if that happens. But okay. Um, well, now we have a lot of of things to check back on. We got to check on the whole. Um, we do. We do. I have. I feel like I've made a lot of sweeping claims. This is a good a good to do list. Conversation though. that I am going to have to fast track and possibly do some apologizing for. Yeah, sorry. Well, only when you know you've sparked another serial style review of that um, of that murder. I, this might be my my spinoff podcast is when uh, when I come up with a theory that that I need to fully investigate and then we can claim that this podcast has a spinoff. Okay. Well, since we've like I said started a bunch of uh, started a, a ton of hunts, we have to follow up on now. I, I did want to ask, but I'm also asking everybody on um, on this podcast, what have you uh, what have you been making or eating in quarantine? So I've been doing a lot of cooking and baking in quarantine. Um, I I generally am someone who eats at home most often. Anyway, I usually bring my lunch to work when when I work in an office. But um, I'm definitely spending more time consciously making food rather than just, you know, baking up a chicken breast or making some sort of omelet or something. Um, One thing that I baked this morning that I'm very excited about is an Irish bread, bread pudding. Um, Allow me to start from the beginning here with my, my Irish bread saga. So uh, in my family, we have three Irish bread recipes and I've recently been given a fourth Irish bread recipe. All of your friends who are, you know, between one sixteenth to 100% Irish, whatever they claim, they all have an Irish bread recipe and I guarantee you everyone's Irish recipe is different. Uh, no one, no one has the same recipe. So I, I'm, I've become a bit of a collector of recipes. Um, one is, uh, so of the recipes, we have Mrs. Riley's, which has caraway seeds in it. That's the main definer of Mrs. Riley's. Uh, we have Nino, who is my cousin's great grandmother on her other side. You know how, um, your cousins all have that weird other family that they that hang out with. That you never hear of, that you only hear um, about, you so, never meet them. Yeah, but like occasionally you'll meet them at like a birthday party and they know a lot about you and you're like, I don't know you, this is weird. But um, but yeah, so they, they we, uh, but we, so my cousins had a, 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 you know, they have their other other side of the family and Nina was my, Nino was my uh, cousin's great grandmother on that side. And she had an Irish bread recipe that, um, the thing to know about this Irish bread recipe is that it's full of lies as was Nino. Uh, Nino, when she died, we thought she was like 87, found some documents that proved she was like 91, went to get, you know, whatever the death certificate is or whatever, and Social Security had her as 93. So no one really knows much about her. Um, And then her recipe, my mother must have asked her at least four different times and gotten a different recipe every time. Um, She would always reveal something. She'd be like, oh, you know, my mom would be like, this, this recipe isn't working. You know, she's like, oh, well, you're using buttermilk, right? No, I'm not using buttermilk. You never said to use buttermilk. So I like to use expired milk instead of buttermilk because I just always have expired milk. So anyway, eventually we got Nino's recipe. Her recipe is great because it includes like an egg in the ingredients list. And you go through the whole recipe. At no point does it tell you to put an egg in the bread, but you just kind of assume at some point you should be adding an egg. Um, okay, so that's Nino's recipe. Then we have Mrs. King's recipe, which is kind of a mixture of Nino's and Mrs. Riley's. Doesn't have caraway seeds, but is baked in a bread pan rather than in a cast iron pan. Mrs. Riley's is in a bread pan. Nino's is in a cast iron pan. Um, and then recently, 
I was gifted the Waltham Creedon recipe, which my mother is a Creedon, and there's the Waltham Creedons, the upstairs Creedons, the downstairs Creedons, and the Dorchester Creedons. My mother is a Dorchester Creedon. Um, so this is the Waltham Creedon recipe. Uh, so I recently made that for the first time a few weeks ago, and it is delicious. So I'm uh, that is that has caraway seeds, but is in a cast iron pan. So all of these are various various. Uh, that's a little more cake like as well, I would say. So that's where we are with the Irish bread recipes I have. And I've been making a lot of them because they're super easy to make and um, don't require any yeast, which is, you know, you can't, it's hard to get yeast these days. Everyone's making bread. So they're making soda bread. Um, so a few days ago, and uh, just a content warning that this, you know, I, I'm about to talk about uh, uh, COVID-19. I don't know if anyone needs a content warning for that, but um I found out that one of the, and I'll, I won't say which one, uh, one of the people whose recipe I have uh, has been diagnosed with COVID-19. And given that she is in her mid-90s, you know, we're, you know, you, you hope she's comfortable. It's kind of where we are. And my reaction to hearing that news, this is the first person I know who has been diagnosed directly. I know some friends of friends, but this is the first person I know. Uh, my reaction to that was kind of pure rage, which was a surprise. I was very angry. Um, it seemed very unfair that like after you live this sort of life, it's just like, oh, and by the way, this is going to happen. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I'll make her, um, I'll make her Irish bread recipe. That'll be a good thing to do to sort of, you know, channel my rage. Um, so I grabbed the flour that I had in my cabinet, which was self-rising flour, thinking, okay, well, like I, so I have, I have regular flour down in my quarantine pantry, which I have a great quarantine pantry we can talk about that on another episode but um I was like all right well if this is just some rage cooking I don't want to like open up my my flour downstairs I'll just use the self-rising flour I'll adjust the the baking powder ratios and I'll you know me thinking I'm a good person like I'll make this work um it didn't work <laughs> I think I think we all can see why I got a C in chemistry what, what happened what um, happened to that room so it's it's not it's not it wasn't particularly bad. It uh it it got it it rose beautifully. It's very very high and very pretty, but it just has that baking powdery taste, um very chemical tasting. Mm-hmm. I think would be the best way to describe mm-hmm. it. Um, so other than that, other than that, it, and it it also is a bit drier. I'm not sure if that's a that's a bit drier than I um than I planned for it to be. So I had I had a slice and I slabbed some butter on it and I had some tea with it and I was like, it's fine, it's fine. But I, you know, it's a high calorie bread and you know I'm already eating you know wild sugar and all this sugary stuff and all this you know stuff that I don't normally eat. So I'm like, mm, I don't know if it's worth it to to just eat this for the sake of eating it. And so then it hit me. I was like, you can make a good bread pudding out of this probably. Which I've never made bread pudding before, but um, I'm a fan of bread pudding. I looked up a recipe and uh, it seemed pretty easy to make. So this morning I, I followed a recipe that I found on the internet, but then I uh, made the decision to add a little bit of Bailey's as well to it because, you know, got to lean into those stereotypes. And um, super simply, you just cut the bread up into cubes. You make a, a mixture of um, what did I use? Half and half eggs, a little Baileys, a little sugar, and a little vanilla. You whisk that up, pour it on top. A little butter, a little butter as well. Pour that on top, 
put in the oven for 350 for 40 minutes, you got yourself a pudding. Have you sampled it yet? How does it taste? I have. It is delicious. So um, really good consistency, I think, is what I'm proud of. I, it's, not, it's not too dry, but it's also not like runny. You know, it baked. Uh, the adding the Baileys was key. Very key. I, I actually kind of wonder if I hadn't, what kind of flavor it would have um, because it really added a, a, a rich flavor. Now, when I was in uh, college, I worked at, um, we had a little restaurant on campus for like, it was like a fancy little alumni house, alumni house for the alums to come back and have, uh, you know, lunch at. And this is a fancy little inn. And my first job in college was I would work in the kitchen there preparing uh, vegetables and food pretty much. Um, and they were famous for at the holidays, they would always have a, uh, a bread pudding that they would serve and they would serve it with this, this whiskey sauce. So in theory, I wanted to then make a nice sauce for my bread pudding, but I figured that was probably a waste of resources for just me to create a sauce when it already had a great flavor. So I cut it in half and I throw, I put half of it in the freezer and I'm thinking, you know, when I take that half out of the freezer, I might, I might make a sauce for it down the line. But right now I'm just eating it uh, as is probably going to throw some vanilla ice cream on it when I have a piece tonight, I'd say that might be my, my sauce. Okay. So this is, this is a little savory, a little sweet. You can mix and match, but uh, it turned out well. Turned out really well. Yeah. So that's, um, that, that turned out, that was, I was very proud of that. That was something I, you know, while I did follow a recipe, I think I also kind of crafted the idea in my head. I'm going to take a little credit myself for crafting it. I mean, anyone can make a bread pudding. You just literally take some bread, throw in some, you know, dairy products, bake it. You got yourself a bread pudding. But, um, so I didn't, I didn't invent nuclear fusion here, but um, I, 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 I was very, I was very pleased that an idea I had was very easily recognized. Um, that would be in the sweet category. Are you interested in what uh, what else I'm eating, or, or are you just looking for one thing? Oh, that was that's I think good for now. We gotta save something, you know. Like plus, if we're here yeah. for another three months, we might want to, you know, save some of the good stuff for down the road. Oh uh, yeah, now 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 that you have this podcast, I'm gonna have to start cooking in preparation for being a guest on it with with what I with what I've got cooking. So, um, I was actually thinking about this uh, again as I was sort of recapping my, um friendship with you in preparation for this conversation, you uh, were the last person I saw before I went into quarantine or isolation or whatever. And you cooked us soup. That's right. French onion soup. Well, we also have the, um, the COVID food pact where if one or the other of us gets ill and yep. can quarantine, I guess, not be in the ICU, God forbid, can quarantine to, yeah, to do, exactly. a, to do no, a food drop off. Exactly. Um, I'm still, I'm still up for that pact. If, if either of us can't, can't actually leave the house, then, uh, then let's do that. You uh, had a good idea that I unfortunately could not take you up on of splitting a uh, meat delivery. Uh, I couldn't take you up on that because my freezer is full of toaster waffles and I didn't have any room for any uh, high end. Your staples. Did you, did you ever order any meat? No, I couldn't get enough people to buy it. The minimum was like, I forget, 150 or 200 dollars worth of meat or something like that uh, yeah. at cheap prices. So it was, I mean, yeah. you know, I definitely would have needed a second freezer or refrigerator or something like that to even begin to. Yeah, that's the thing is, I 
I, I, I never really used my freezer before. I had to start planning for not being able to have certain things or not having easy access to certain things. And now my freezer is uh, very full. And also my freezer doesn't always stay shut, which is very unnerving that I will at one point possibly lose everything that's in there. So I have to be like hyper vigilant to make my freezer is closed. Yeah, I also worry about the, the space efficiency of toaster waffles. Do you take them out of the boxes? It's, it's not an efficient setup. I, I, need to, I need to take some time. I had, so right before this happened, I had uh, reorganized my fridge and freezer in a way that would, you know, I, I, I should have put pictures on Pinterest. It was beautiful. Um, and with the idea that, specifically with the idea that a fridge and freezer, do, they don't have to be, you don't have to, you know, you, you can have a half empty fridge. You just have to have what you need in there. Um, I was definitely getting things and keeping them just in case and then things were going bad and I'd have to throw out perfectly good things. So it was a conscious effort on my part to not um, hoard food. Uh, then this hit and we were all encouraged as a society to hoard food. And now I'm back to having just a, free, a fridge full of, you know, meal prepped food and in you know leftovers that I have to make a conscious effort to make sure I eat so they don't go bad and rather than just cook something new and it's it's a you know it's a it's an effort. Well we're all figuring out new ways of of uh existing. I think there's a, a in this time when so much is out of our control there's a real desire to find things that we can control. And I think that's why a lot of people are turning to cooking and baking is because you can devote this meticulous attention to it. And the quality can be impacted by, you know, if you're baking, if you put in like the very specific amount, if you're cooking, if you think to add those little extra things that maybe the recipe doesn't call for. Um, so I think that's, I think the attention is something that we are struggling to find places that we can, you know, control and put our attention to these days. So it's it's a nice a nice outlet for a lot of people. I think that's right. There's something to be said about creating, and so you know, I know people are going nuts about yeah. bread, and there's no yeast, and um, frankly, even making this this podcast right is an opportunity to sort of create something and you know have the yeah give it some time, attention, and care, and see something come out of it. Right. Start with. Exactly. Two people talking exactly. and wind up with something that's hopefully interesting and pleasant to listen to. Exactly. That's the hope. We we find ourselves interesting. <laughs> I would think others do as yeah. well, but... I would, yeah, you're right. I would hope. All right. Well, anything else for the for the record? At least this time. It's not your only time, I'm sure. You, you... No, no, nothing else for this time. Thank you for um, the opportunity to talk about my, my love for Henry Fonda and... Uh, and Andy Williams, uh, not a lot of people often allow me to bring that up in conversation. So I, I appreciate you giving me that space. Yeah, that's what we need. That's what we need in uh, pandemic times. A little space. Exactly. At least six feet. And that concludes this episode of What's Eating You. Special thanks to my guests, Mariana Bogutsky, and of course, Andy Williams. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon.